In this episode, JB and Mike talk with Mitch Cantor from Encore Tech, and we discuss a little bit about New Atlantis. You don't need law school. Law school's for people who are boring and ugly and serious. Welcome to Legally Crowded, Mike and Baby. All right, so welcome to this special COVID-19 episode of Legally Cloud. We know everyone or most everyone is working from home and we hope you're all safe, healthy and sticking to guidelines appropriate for your area in whatever part of the world you're in. JB, how are you hanging in there? I am doing well, Mike. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, it's it's uh interesting times and and everybody's adjusting accordingly as I'm sure many of our listeners are now finding out what it's like to have uh, children at home trying to uh, do distance education and all that other fun stuff. So, uh, but hopefully, you know, obviously, I on the uh, most important things. Hopefully, everybody's healthy and uh, and and staying safe. Yes. No. I we we definitely uh, hope the best for everyone. Um, but just for a, a little bit of levity before we get into the podcast. So this week, I was called a genius. <laughs> Uh, many of us in the tech industry, JB, I suspect you're probably in a similar situation. We have, um, shall we say, older parents and parents-in-law that sometimes require technology help. And I got a call from my wife's mother, and she was having a computer problem. She calls up and she said, Mike, I turn on my monitor and it says no input and then it shuts down. And I thought for a second, just a second, and I said, Mom, is your computer on? Well, how do I turn it on? She has a laptop. So I said, well, just op open your laptop, and there should be a button right above the keyboard. She pushes it. Mike, you're a genius. Love it. Love so it. I, I, I thought I had to share, right? When we get good news, we like to share it with those that are interested. Now, I'm not saying our audience is interested, but I'm interested. So I just thought I'd... I'd share that with everyone yeah. here. <laughs> absolutely yeah i think we've uh, you're you're absolutely correct i think a lot of my uh friends and and uh colleagues that are in similar uh technology positions often play the help desk role for the family which uh at times can be humorous and both frustrating um it's interesting that i probably maintain a list of passwords for people that i don't know uh, who are constantly calling me to get <laughs> figure out what their password is. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. All right. So as we begin every episode, we want to get into uh, upcoming events where NetDoc yes. is going to be, except we don't have any upcoming events because they've all been canceled thanks to COVID-19. So this episode and, and, perhaps a couple into the future as well. We're going to change it slightly. And let's talk about some upcoming webinars because we know those are going on. So, JB, why don't you lead us through what we've got coming up? Sure. Um, webinars. So this will take place in, in, in the foreseeable future. And you can, you can look. Uh, Mike, where can people look for some of these? Are we publishing these out on our, our website or on Twitter? Where, where do we have these? Yeah, I believe they are on netdocuments.com. And for all of our listeners, by the way, if there are any of these webinars that you're interested in attending and you can't quite find the link where to register, just message us on Twitter at, at LegallyCloud. And we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll send the right link to you and get you hooked up there. Perfect. Yep. And so the first one is April 7th, Tips and Tricks Webinar for Existing Customers. So these are, are good. They're, they're basically, you know, maybe you've got some, some basic usage of net documents or maybe you're a longtime customer and, and you know, you've got your, your set workflow. Uh, these are just things that we found, uh, tips and suggestions that might help you uh, maybe features that you're not aware of that, that exist within our product or, or uh, in the platform that, that you're, you know, maybe you're not utilizing it to your full potential, or maybe you just didn't even know it was there. So this hopefully will will help you and and shave some time off your day, and 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 in terms of some of the tasks you need to accomplish uh, within Net Documents. Okay, Mike. Um, on April 13th, we have a, a fun one coming up. Do you want to talk about that one a little bit? 
You bet. So on the 13th, this is an ILTA-sponsored webinar with Alvin Tejamulia and yours truly. That, that's me, not JB, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> and we're going to talk about working from home, utilizing that documents, and really highlight how seamless it is. It's the same whether you work from home or whether work from the office. Fantastic. And then April 16th or 17th, we're not quite sure yet, but it's there's going to be a joint webinar with Rocket Matter. And uh, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about Rocket Matter? So Rocket Matter happens to be a matter management system. It's a cloud-based system that has integration with NetDocuments. And so this particular webinar is going to focus on a little bit of Rocket Matter, a little bit of NetDocuments, and the integration between the two and how it presents a seamless solution for those firms that really are looking for a, a true cloud solution. Okay, so we have another series of ILTA webinars coming up, and those are going to be on April 22nd, April 24th, and also May 1st. So a series of three in there, the topics are, are, are going to be announced on our page, and you can go ahead and look up and register for those. And uh, finally, on May 7th, I shouldn't say finally, but at least in the foreseeable future, May 7th, uh, we're, we're having a webinar on how COVID-19 is shifting the legal culture. And I think that's going to be uh, extremely interesting to hear how a lot of firms are handling this, how the business of law is changing, and, and, and see what's happening there. And I hope by that time the title of the webinar changes to how COVID-19 has shifted, because yeah. we hope that it's, it's in submission and is, uh, things are going back to the way they were, or somewhat the way they were beforehand. Indeed. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, JB. As you can see, even though we're all quarantined, we're all working from home, business doesn't stop. And along those same lines, you know, as I look on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, I see all these articles work from home, how you can survive. And almost all of these articles are serious. And you know, we have enough serious in our lives, and, and those who, who know me, who know GB, we like to laugh, we like to have humor in, in what we do. And so what I thought that, that JB and I would do is we'd put together a quick list of some not-so-serious work-from-home tips and tricks. And I will, I will admit that my tips and tricks come from social media, so it's not stuff I thought of myself. Um, JB may have come up with his own. He may have found social media. I don't know. I'm sure he'll give credit where credit is due, but I'm going to start this off. So, you know, many of us, uh, us and our spouses are, are working in the professional world. And now all of a sudden, both of us are working from home. And so if you're, you know, in a couple working from home together, here's a tip for you. You want to get yourself an imaginary coworker to blame things on. So for an example, in my house, we have an employee named Cheryl who keeps leaving her dirty water cups all over the place. And my wife and I just really don't know what to do about her. <laughs> I think, I think Cheryl needs to be reported to HR or perhaps a, uh, an email needs to be sent out to Cheryl basically so. uh, discussing her behavior. I think so. I think so. <laughs> I like that one. Um, I, I think uh, one of the things is to imagine yourself that you are basically a house plant with complicated emotions. So make sure you get, you, you drink water and get sunlight. <laughs> oh, that's how true is that? I love it. I love it. And then um, the last one I have is, you know, enjoy while you're working from home because hopefully you get along with everyone in your office. You can show up in your pajamas and you always win employee of the month. So it's a win-win. That is fantastic. Yep. I think uh, obviously don't forget to shower. That's always always a good one. Um, you know, it's really easy to to get up and 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 commute directly into that office, but just don't forget your your morning routine. Otherwise, uh, um, you know, social distancing becomes real easy at that point because you smell. That's right. That's right. It's kind of natural social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, that we're kind of wrapping up the first segment of our podcast episode for this time. And if you have suggestions, you want to be interviewed, just reach out to us on Twitter at Legally Cloud, and we would love to talk to you. We've got some exciting interviews, some exciting episodes coming coming up in the future. But our episode today is one near and dear to my heart. We are 
JB and I previously talked with Mitch Cantor, who is from Encore Tech, a certified Net Documents partner. And Mitch and I are personal friends and have been for over 10 years. So we go way back. And so we spent some time with him to talk about training in this day and age and technology and implementations, you know, all, all sorts of different fun things. So we're going to wrap up this segment and we'll be back in just a little bit. And so hang on tight. Well, welcome back. And uh, today we have a very special guest, longtime personal friend of mine as well, Mitch Cantor from Encore Tech. Mitch, thank you so much for coming on to the show. We appreciate it. Mike, JB, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Now, I know that you've listened to all of our podcasts, and so you know that I'm going to start with some personal questions. And so I really yep. hope that you're prepared for that because we don't want to blindside you too much. But why don't you start I, off? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm going to be more spontaneous, but go ahead. That's oh. fine. <laughs> so let's start off with a little personal information. Can you introduce yourself, your company, current position, how long you've been there, et cetera? Sure, sure, sure. So um, as, as you said, my name is Mitch Cantor. And uh, the company that I work for is called Encore Tech. And we are a technology services, training, user adoption uh, company. We, we deliver a range of services um, from live end user training, uh, migration solutions. We also deal with a lot of content creation, learning videos, uh, documentation, things, things of that nature. Uh, and you know, basically, we offer migration solutions to, to the legal and, and corporate worlds. Uh, we have been a Net Documents training partner. Probably, I, I think we might have been a partner before there was a partnership program. Mike, you would know that better than, than I anyone. think you're right, Mitch. Yeah. If I'm, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think I might have been, if not the first um, vendor that was what became a, a, a certified Net Documents trainer. I was, I was definitely amongst the first handful of them. Um, and uh, I, I like to think, I don't have the actual data to back it up, but I, I'm pretty certain I can make the claim that uh, globally, I've probably trained more individuals on net documents than anybody else in the world. But um, I may be overstating that just a little bit, but not by a, not by a whole lot. Uh, and it, other aspects of Encore Tech, we are now, as well as being a training partner, we're also an implementation partner. So uh, my... My position with Encore Tech, uh, I, I have my official title is Senior Lead Information Technology Trainer. Uh, typically, I will lead up the, the training end on some of the larger global deployments that we do. I, I like to think my unofficial title is End User Advocate. And I'm, I'm always kind of looking at things from the end user perspective. Uh, and you know, I, I kind of take pride in that. But I've, I've been with Encore Tech for 14 years and actually been in the legal industry for, for more than 20 years. And uh, you know, I kind of came up through the ranks. So I like to, to call it, this is my accidental career. Um, I started out working in law firms, you know, mainly as behind the scenes as um, at first a legal secretary and then word processor. And then that led to, to me being kind of the, the nighttime um, de facto help desk person and then eventually into training. But I've, I've been in the industry a long time. And so my my uh, unofficial title as end user advocate, I think, comes from the experience of having worked in those capacities in a law firm. Oh well, very nice. Well, that uh, you've had a long storied career in in the legal industry, both from you know uh, working inside of a law firm and then dealing with law firms from the other aspect, from a vendor perspective as well. So you definitely bring a unique perspective. But I'm more interested, Mitch, and for, for our listeners, so I will be up front. So Mitch and I have known each other since I think we met in end of 2009 or 2009-ish, yeah, 2010-ish, somewhere in there, which was shortly it was after. 2009. Was it 2009, which is the same year I started at NetDocuments. So we, we go... We go way back. Uh, but tell me something about you. Give me a unique fact about you, Mitch. 
Gee, this is going to be hard because you, you know me so well. Um, but I'm, I'm going to let's see. Now, there, there's one unique fact about me. It's actually something that happened to me that not not a whole lot of people know about, and that is I have had the I'm not going to say privilege. That's the wrong word. Uh, I have had a unique experience in that I have literally had the White House door slammed in my face. Well, um, you know you have to share the experience now. Of course, of course. I'm not going to leave it just right there. But, you know, this was a long time ago. I was still in college and I, I was part of a, you know, I was really into music and theater and everything back in the day. In fact, in a, in a, I mean, you know this fact about me in a previous life. I, I was a performer. I was an actor. But back then in college, I was part of a, um, a traveling choir. And every year we would do a choir tour, about 40 of us, all a cappella, and, and we would go... Um, Usually in the spring, it would come right out of spring break or something. And one year we were in Washington, D.C., and we always tried. We were going to be actually doing a performance at the National Cathedral, which was, was really exciting. But we had some time during the day, of course, to go do a little sightseeing. A bunch of, not the entire choir, but maybe a dozen of us or so, you know, were running around town together. And we, we went to the White House. Uh, back then, security is a little, little teeny bit different than it is now. And they um, they used to let people kind of do these self-guided tours where you would, uh, you know, just walk through these different areas and, and then out the other side. And as we were going in the, the guardhouse over by the sidewalk where they're checking bags and stuff like that, you know, back then they, they weren't even putting you through a magnetometer or anything, but they're checking. And, you know, so the, the, uh, the guards uh, whom I, I, I guess were working for the Secret Service, um, we're very chatty and hey, what are you guys all doing here? And uh, you know, saw a group of of young folk, um, eclectic group, and we we explained that we we're on tour with our college choir, et cetera, et cetera. So after we went through and did the tour, we came out whatever exit we came out, we ended up walking around and came by the same guardhouse again, and the guys guardhouse, hey, it's the choir, hey. and um, they're like, hey, would you guys do us a favor? The the officer who's at the door, it's his birthday today. Would you? And we won't even check your bags again. Just go up there and sing happy birthday to him, would you? And his uh, his name is Officer Sweetly, but we call him Sweetie. So do us a favor. Go up there and sing happy birthday, Sweetie. Um, as naive, you know, college students. This sounded like a great idea. We were just looking for any chance to perform, and so we we strolled up to the to the door, and uh, in glorious four part, may have even been eight part harmony. I don't know. We just made it up. We started singing "Happy Birthday, Sweetie," and and uh, Sweetie slammed the door in our faces. <laughs> oh, was it on video? That would have been amazing. Back then, I'm not sure if they were doing video. Well, they they probably were. We're we're talking like 1981, 82, somewhere. So yes. Now it wasn't a solo uh, performance, but yes, uh, myself and my my <laughs> choir mates, we had. But I can I can say to this day, I've had the White House doors slammed in my face. Yes, you there can. You that that's a great story. All right, next question. What is your favorite go-to order at? Your, I know your favorite restaurant, but what's your favorite go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Oh man, this one is torture. The the current moment because. Well, you know, again, full disclosure, uh, you know, Mike, you and I, of course, when we're when we're working together, um, we 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 sort of co-joined as foodies and would go to all kinds of wonderful places when we were traveling. And obviously, right now, we're we're restricted in so many ways. Um, I, man, I don't know whether to answer that with one of my favorite restaurants in places I travel to or. I think I'm going to go more local right now because it's it's breaking my heart that my my beloved diner, um, which is is just down the block from where I live, and basically becomes an extension of my living room, um, is closed. They're not even doing takeout delivery, so um, yeah, I, I really miss that. And probably my favorite, uh, man, that's a toss up too. There's so many good dishes there, but. Um, I think probably the first thing, let's put it this way, the first thing I'll order once they're open again is probably their herb-crusted chicken. Ah, uh, very, very nice. We'll uh, we'll meet there for dinner one night, Mitch. You got it. 
Excellent. All right. Last thing before we transition. Well, this is kind of part of a transition, but you know, you you've been in your career now for quite a few years. What is one thing that you wish you had known at the start of your career that you that you know now? Um. Wow. <laughs> I wish I had known back at the very beginning that the rest of the world wasn't as enthusiastic about technology as I was. <laughs> um, now that's that's changed somewhat over the years, but back back then, when I when I really when I first started training, when I first got into this, this was actually even pre Encore Tech, but I, I think the first training project I did as a uh, as a contractor, which I did for for a few years before I joined Encore Tech, um, it was such a shock to me that people weren't. As enthusiastic, I mean, I used to love if we were going to learn something new, some new technology. I was so excited! Wow, we get to go learn this cool new stuff. We're going to, you know, become, especially when I was working in in word processing, document production. Like, yep, we're going to get to be the experts on this. And uh, of course, it was because I was so enthusiastic about it. I just, you know, figured, oh, people are always looking to learn new things, right? Wrong. Uh, I think the first job I did as a as a, a contract trainer. When I started looking around at the faces in the room, they were full of fear and horror and basically wanted to know why I was making them do this horrible thing. (laughs) Well, one big lesson I learned right then was from that point forward was to, to always introduce, I made that mistake only once, was to not introduce myself. They thought I was actually working for the organization that they worked for, um, and that was not the case. And so I make it a point in any training that I do now that I, I introduce myself, say what company I'm working for, you know, that that we're a training vendor, we're here to help them. Subliminal message, it's not my fault. Um, so, you know, we're, we're here to help. We didn't decide to have you move into this technology. But um, yeah, that that was something I wish I had known stepping into that classroom for the very first time, um, because I think had had there been weapons in the room, I I might have come out injured. <laughs> Interesting perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, Mitch, JB here. So um, transitioning a little bit, uh, you know, right before we we were hitting the record button, Mike and I were kind of talking about current events. Um, you know, with with the uh, the COVID nineteen thing sort of forcing everybody into uh, a shelter in place or, or or quarantine mode, you know, the the proliferation or proliferation is the wrong word, but the the use of um, cloud based or software as a service based technologies has really sort of exploded. Um, you know, in order to provide people with resources to to get and manage and and do their work. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we're seeing on our side is. Uh, an increase, an uptick in in uh, the people that are requesting, that are currently deploying our system, that are requesting um, quicker go live dates. We we actually just took a firm live this weekend in South America that uh, that was you know not scheduled for another month and a half, and uh, so we're we're starting to see that that sort of play out. But it brings up a, a question around training, and and I was kind of talking through Mike with this, and it's it's really fortuitous that you're on, and and that is. You know, we were discussing how the different tra- types of training that exist, you know, you've got classroom-led, you have virtual, and, and some of those other things. Um, what are you seeing now, given, you know, current events that are happening? And and more importantly, you know, along with the training, you know, that first day, that first go-live day where you you have floor walkers, right, and, and you're going out and, and offering support, how is that changing in this in this time as well? Yeah, that, those are, are great uh, questions and um, you know I'll, I'll address the training part first, JB. And one of the things that I think works as trainers, as a training organization, one of the things that works very heavily in our favor is that we we've already had a lot of experience in delivering training remotely. That's something we've even on these big global projects where obviously in the largest offices we would have boots on the ground. Um, we have had to, for various reasons, some of them are, are purely the, the reach and not having enough 
bodies to, to hit every single office, some of them also by size. You have a, a small office with maybe one or two practitioners or a handful of practitioners. Are you really going to travel somebody to Saudi Arabia, for example, or, or some, some other location uh, that might have a, a very small, or I imagine the same in South America? So based on the size of the, of the population in a given location, we have already had to pivot to that remote model in a lot of ways. Uh, now, I, I'm still a big believer in, there's, there's nothing that, that will replace, I know I'm a little old fashioned in, in this uh, regard, but I, I still believe very, very strongly in, in live instructor-led hands-on training uh, but obviously that that is not possible now. And so really the, the big challenge, not just for, for us, but for all the organizations that are moving forward, okay, how do we go ahead and execute that? I think that the training part is actually the the simpler of the two aspects of the of this that you've talked about, the, the floor support and the training. The training, okay, we know we can do, there are a whole bunch of different technologies out there for sharing a screen and communicating. Uh, we pretty much use them all, every one of them, um, wh whether it's GoToMeeting, WebEx. Uh, obviously, right now, uh, I think Zoom is, is having a, a real um, uptick in, in usage, uh, not only by, <laughs> by professional organizations, but by others who just want to keep in touch and have these virtual get-togethers. Uh, so I, I think we have a pretty good handle on delivering in that, in that mode. Now, the, the challenging part of that is, okay, you know, hands-on being what it, what it is, which is still, I think, the best method, is it possible, can we continue to do some form of hands-on? Now, that's very challenging. Um, there are some real rare circumstances where maybe that's feasible. So we've had to come up with a, a few other creative solutions for that. Now, for the most part, we're, what we end up doing is, is more demo-style training. Uh, and, and again, I think we're, we're able to adapt to that pretty easily. Uh, we're working with some other clients for some upcoming projects, uh, and we're discussing the possibilities of some kind of hands-on experience. And um, you know that that that's a little bit more of a challenge, and some of that requires a little trial and error. And so, as some of these, and one one thing I'm always in favor of, whether it's a remote distance learning or even when we do a what I call a, a normal uh, deployment is to do a pilot or two pilots. I know that's sometimes a challenge with document management systems because you, you really kind of need a, a bunch of people in a silo, so to speak, um, if you're not doing a, a big flash cut. But I think doing those pilots, it will give you a little proof of concept, hey, is this working? Uh, if we are going to attempt some type of hands-on experience, is that feasible? Uh, and then kind of move on from there. So from a that is how we're embracing. We're you know we're still kicking the tires on a few things, uh, you know. The, but we've we've been very successful in moving forward with projects just doing the the distance learning. And again, I I think our experience with it is what gives us the leg up in that. Now the the floor support. Wow, that is a that's another bit of a a different kind of a challenge, um, <laughs> because we have obviously in, um, in in a live setting we're able to use things like stop go cards, where you know there's to me there's always a fine line when you're doing floor support about between being available and helpful, and being intrusive and pestering, and one of the things that I think we, we like to do, obviously on that day one, you know, it's a great idea to check in with every single user. You want to make sure that they're up and running, that the install um, package deployed correctly. There, sometimes we actually come up with a, with a physical checklist or a virtual electronic checklist, but a number of items that we want to run around with each user and, and check. Uh, and then after that, you know, we kind of adopt more of, uh, hey, if you need help, put up your, your stop sign. Well, how do we do that in a virtual world? Um, that's the challenge. And so the approach has been, again, what, what technology can we leverage? It's a lot of the same that we use on the, the training side, but then the other obstacle there, well, what, what is the company's 
guideline, the client's guideline as far as access to their system. You know, it, it's different when a lot of times uh, we're just kind of looking over their shoulder. If we have to be on their system, that's another set of hoops that we may have to jump through in order to get some of our trainers cleared, background checked, etc. cetera. Um, so it's, I, I would say it's still a little bit of a work in progress. Um, we are, what we're doing is taking a more active approach and divvying up. So, for example, we did a deployment last week, about 100 users, and, and I think we had three or four uh, trainers that were doing virtual floor support. And for that initial visit, we made divvy up a list and say, here you go. You know, each, each of you get 25 people to reach out to. Um, and then the other challenges with that, okay, so we get past the, the let's say we uh, have figured out the technology as far as screen sharing if necessary. Sometimes you don't need that, that someone can ask a question that you can very easily answer. But in if you don't have a dedicated call center set up, how do we how do we get to those people? Um, do we it, for a lot of reasons it's probably not efficient or um, or for other security purposes probably not the wisest thing to use one's own home phone number or or cell phone number so so uh, finding other technologies to to deal with that just the the telecommunications and and again we've we've come up with a number of, of workable solutions for that but they're all kind of still in the in the uh, in the initial phase, the putting out your stop sign that's a little bit harder, and obviously that has to flow through more of a distribution list or maybe requests for for assistance coming through uh, the firm's regular service desk, something of that matter. So again, we are we're kind of adapting on the fly, and and we're trying different techniques to make this work. And overall, the feedback has been. Okay, it's not it's not as ideal as having boots on the ground, somebody there in person. Uh, however, it, it's it's doable, and and the feedback has been excellent, and is and we've been real successful with it. Well, let's uh, and thanks for that. That's a that's a very very clear uh, answer, and I, I certainly appreciate the complexity of that. I, I'm I'm curious as a follow up to that. You know the the evolution of technology we've we've really come a long way you know you pointed out some some things with uh, uh zoom sort of having its its uh, 15 minutes of fame here if you will but uh, um i'm i'm curious what does this look like as you're as you're you know everybody's kind of going in and and looking at this saying you know what technologies can we map or can we apply to this problem um you know in the case of the floor support are you looking at things like uh you know uh, large conferencing where you know People can raise their hand and then get, you know, called upon that sort of thing in, in lieu of the uh, uh, the cards that, that are at each desk or, you know, what does that process look like and, and how do you evaluate what's going to be successful or not? Yeah, and, and it's going to depend, JB, on the, particular, the particulars of the client. What technology sure. can they use? Sure. Uh, and unfortunately, when you get into things like even GoToMeeting, there, there are a number of uh, limitations in terms of how many people can be on. and so. You know, we've we've also done um, some teleconferences where, okay, a couple of times a day we'll just leave an open bridge, and um, anyone can hop on, and so in, in effect that's the virtual hand raise, and and ask a question that way, and um, if need be, if there needs to be a screen sharing or a demo, you know, the trainer can jump on and and do that in a couple of different ways. Um, so that's that's the interesting thing, right? Is is it's flexible. There's there's a number of options, and and it sounds like you guys have the the experience, and and you can kind of make, you have a process in place, and you can kind of make it fit with whatever whatever technology you have at hand. But I I, I find that to be fascinating. That as as a, you know, we we've really evolved from a technology standpoint to where we can use multiple uh, multiple pieces of technology to try and solve a, a particular problem. Um, are you finding, you know, in in the sense that you know, thinking back to when you first started doing this and, and training people, the, the technology and how far it's come today, um, you know, obviously night and day differences. But I'm I'm curious what that looks like from your side. How do you see the the advance of technology and the impact that it's having on your on your business? Yeah, I, uh, I think obviously the technology itself is now doing amazing things, and and the fact that we can do these remote sessions. Um, 
is is phenomenal. One thing technology has done about what we train is I don't want to blame technology for this, but I think it's certainly been a, a contributory factor to shorter shorter attention spans um, and the need for productivity. And especially when you're dealing with lawyers, that time is everything to them. Um, and in some ways, the ease of things like iPhones and other bits of technology that have you know, years ago, we, we never dreamed, or maybe we did dream, but didn't ever realize that it would, would accelerate to the level that it is now. Uh, that presents its own challenge because a lot of individuals, a lot of her, who are relatively tech savvy, um, believe they don't need that much training any longer uh, or they're too busy well you know gone are the days obviously mike i think when you and i did our first couple of projects together i think you know we got people in a room for hands-on training we did two and a half hours or, or longer in in some net documents implementations and if you were going to cover every single feature you know you'd need that amount of time um, as time becomes more precious as we're basically being given limitations, we have to kind of reshape how we're thinking about this training and focus more on what we call the, the core skills or the critical, sometimes I refer to them as survival skills. What is the bare minimum that we have to teach somebody so they can be up and running and productive, especially when we're doing that big flash cutover, which so many document management clients are, are going to that model for good reason. Um, so I think it's forcing, I think technology in a way is forcing us to really tighten the scope of what it is we want to do in instructor-led sessions um, because of the bare minimum of time that we're being given. Say, okay, let's just focus on the, the absolute essentials. What does somebody need, you know, what are the, the skills that somebody needs on day one? Well, need to find a document. They need to be able to, to save a document. Um, there are so many functions that are nice to haves, but not critical on day one. And that's where the other part of the technology, the training technology, we can leverage e-learning and other, and so those other, other platforms. And of course, the other problem is you have people who learn differently. Uh, most adults learn well by doing, but some would rather just sit and watch a video. Um, some would rather just read through a manual or, or a step-by-step. -step. And so we have to account for that. That's how technology, in a way, has changed the way that we deliver. We have to make all these delivery options available, even on the same project. Uh, and they have to be continually available because we may have that half hour or 45 minutes or uh, maybe an hour if we're lucky on on that first initial training and then okay great if you have five more five minutes go look at this e-learning lesson if this is something that you need to do um they may not know it yet and that's and that's the challenge that's where the floor support really one of the reasons i i regret that we can't do the floor support in person now we can actually walk around and again balancing on that fine line between being helpful and not being intrusive you know, we can kind of look over the shoulder and say, hey, I, I love what you've done with your homepage there, but did you know, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then you can start adding on um, more information as people are ready to digest it. So I, I think the evolution of technology has really changed, again, the methodology that we use in order to do the training and has forced us to be a, a lot more focused and kind of live in that short attention span world and what is absolutely the most critical thing somebody needs to know right now and then we'll use these other outlets or delivery methods to make sure that the the resources are available when they need to learn a little bit more. But Mitch, on a positive note, right, from now that for the moment at least there's no in-person floor walking type of support, at least you're not wearing some type of a vest that you used to identify. You knew I couldn't, I couldn't uh, not bring that up. Anyway, that's an inside joke. Um, let me inside move joke. on. Thank that, that's good. Yes, yes, no vests. So there are days I'm tempted to walk around my apartment in a vest, but you know. Okay, TMI, let's not go there. Um, but, but you've done training, I mean, for clients worldwide, lots of different countries, lots of different settings. 
professionals that are older, professionals that are younger, and everywhere in between. So lots of experience. And there's got to be at least, oh, I don't know, one one story that kind of sticks out in your mind of a horror story from a training perspective that you can share with our audience. And obviously, no naming names, no pointing fingers, but give us the gist of, of what happened. Um, oh, there are more than one. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, I, I will give you one uh, that, you know, again, the, the name of the company, the, everything will be, um, I, I will not name names to protect the innocent and, and others. But yeah, I, I, unfortunately, we've had many of these, um, not many, but enough of them. And uh, not everyone heeds advice. So uh, one of the first things we normally recommend is, don't train in a production environment for any number of reasons. But I remember this one project uh, where we were in the production environment and I was doing a class and it just so happened that, uh, now thankfully this was not, it was not a flash cut over. This was back in the days before those were routine. We were actually doing a phased rollout office by office or region by region. Uh, but we happen to have in the class um, someone who, who probably would not get his hands on documents a whole lot, but he happened to be on the executive committee of this firm. And at one point when we were, we were covering search, all of a sudden there was a gasp and I'm not going to try and imitate his voice, but if you, you know, he, you could hear the angst and the shock and awe, if you will. And all of a sudden I hear bellowing, what are my emails doing in this system? Um, well, uh, <laughs> first of all, so that nearly derailed the whole project right there. But in fact, that training class, you know, pretty much was ground to a halt um, until we could kind of get to the bottom of this. Now, it turned out it, it had nothing to do with net documents. When one, one thing that this gentleman did not quite understand was that once those emails left his inbox, his, his outlook, um, anyone who received the, anyone else in the firm who received those, they were more than um, able to, to store those emails in a document management system. So that was the first thing just to, to you know, convince him, hey, the, the, just because they're there doesn't mean you were the individual who saved them. Somebody you sent them to must have saved them. Okay, that part of our, why are they, you know, they shouldn't be available, they shouldn't. Well, uh, I don't have to tell you, you, you probably encounter this 99% of the time when you deal with something like that in training, um, you trace it back to the prior system and the prior system, which shall be unnamed as well. Uh, in, in that instance, yeah, the, we tra traced it back and the emails were not secured in the prior DMS they were coming from. So, of course, you know, the problem was now you can actually find things in that document. So all kinds of things were popping up that, that people didn't expect to see. Uh, and, and, but when you trace them back, they were not properly secured in, in the prior system. So that, that's probably the biggest nightmare scenario that I've experienced and, and some similar to that but you know rule number one as far as I'm concerned do not just do not use uh, the production environment for a number of reasons a you don't want people gumming up the works and when they don't quite yet know what they're doing and b who knows what documentation what what content is there and accessible um, simply because it was accessible in the old system but nobody could find it that's a great story. And that that actually brought up a question in my mind. I want to pose it to you. Um, so as you go through and, and train an organization throughout an implementation, how how do you see the success or failure of a project in conjunction with training? Well, you know, we, we judge it on user adoption, basically. And, and we can get the statistics uh, at the end of that day or week or and we can actually see and, and there is I don't believe there's any shock shocking news here but the the companies that do a better job or the, the clients that do a better job of uh, insisting that their their members attend training generally speaking um, have an easier time 
adopting the system and, and leveraging it. Uh, so we try and do that in a number of ways to, to make that successful, even before training, you know, communications, um, get people excited about the new technology, et cetera. And then it, whatever you can do to, to drive people to that training, I, I think is insurmountable. Uh, if you can get somebody high up in, in that customer's organization, to, we've actually done this before we've recorded a video because you know, oftentimes, I mean, these are not technology projects. They're, they're business process oriented or maybe have to do with a, with a new information governance strategy. Uh, and so getting, getting the, the client to realize that, hey, this is so important, you should insist that training is mandatory. I think goes a long way towards that adoption. Then, as I say, we can have the the actual provable metrics that the, the more people who attend training, you know, the better off you're going to be in in your the more successful you'll be uh, in your deployment. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Um, well, I know we're we're getting close here. I, I I've got an interesting thing. You know, we. We tend to focus, uh, you know, from the professional services side on the implementation, and, and we deeply, deeply rely on on the trainers. Um, and, and I know every engagement that I've worked on, when when you guys are involved, Mitch, it it goes swimmingly. And uh, um, you know, I think the the focuses obviously are 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 vastly different. Um, you know, from a technology side, we are are focused on you know certain configurations, the the product performing in a in a certain way. Uh, the overall design and and some of those aspects and and uh, you know how it comes out um, and and we tend to have a focus within our company and in, in, in terms of the the features that are available and and things of that nature um, when when we approach them from the professional services side and, and the tech side of things they tend to be a little bit you know focused in that way sometimes you know we 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 love to see how um, you know our customers. We 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 do um, we go overboard. I think in, in some cases to try to uh, figure out what do our customers want on the platform. Where where are they going? What do they need? Um, and and we certainly take a lot of those uh, considerations into into effect when we're looking at how to design our, our product going forward. I'm curious from your perspective. Um, you know from a training perspective. Um, that's not one we typically hear from all the time. And so, you know, if you had a, I call this the magic wand question, right? So if you had a, a magic wand and you could uh, go into the development room and, and sit all of our, our developers down and, and our, our product management team and say, look, I've got this magic wand and, and I'm going to wave it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one thing in the platform uh, happen uh, and I want this to happen. Um, what would that be based on what you're seeing or, or hearing from the uh, the front lines? Only one. Am I, am I limited? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm only going to give you one. I don't think we Mike, have, I give you a second one. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I, I was going to say, what do you mean you're asking me now? Mike, you know everything I've been saying for 10 years. That, that should be <laughs> a change. And, and Mike has a very, you know, uh, his, his two-word response to that always is idea bank. Um, and I appreciate that. And, and, you know, and first of all, I do have to say, uh, of all the software vendors that I have worked with, uh, I think you got kudos to you guys because I think NetDocuments has been the most responsive to their customers' needs and adapting quickly. So I thank you for that. And I know your, your customers thank you for that. Um, man, okay. If there's only one, well, uh, hoo, hoo, hoo. I'm gonna say mm, see you have me stumped here now. If I have to focus see, I love it. This is why you see if you give somebody only one they have to prioritize versus, you know, if if you can have two or three on there then, then they all just sort of come out. But I, I like the I like the prioritization. Yeah, I I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go out on a limb on this one. Um and I've I've heard this a number of times out on the floor, and I think it would be real valuable as well. I'd love for ND Office to, when you're dealing with a, with a user's homepage, I, I love the homepage. I think it's one of the most well thought out, um, convenient functions that, that really contrib contributes to the usability of the product. And you know, we emphasize, and again, that's one of those things, we may not get through all of these, all the different 
how you can structure it during during that core skills or essentials class, but we definitely hit it hard um, on how you can customize that page. And I would love to see, if somebody took the time to do a lot of setting up of personal sections, I'd love to see that carry over into ND Office so that they had the same groupings, same sections. Um, yeah, and that that's one that I've gotten a lot because you know, people have they've taken the time to sculpt their home page, and some have done a really amazing job of organization with it. And then when you go into to ND Office, it's just it's just a, an alphabetic list. Uh, so that that would be my one if I could wave the magic wand. There's my wand. I like it, and I think. Uh... Uh, um, Mike, I think we might have some of that team listening, so that's that'll be good feedback and, and things that they can take back. If they're not listening, they will. <laughs> <laughs> I have now again. If you, you kept me here long enough, I'd give you a few others, but uh, you know, since I had to choose one, that's the one. That's right. Well, Mitch, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, it's been great to catch up and and get some insights that you and I typically don't talk about. We we tend to stray away a little bit and go more personal conversation, but it's it's good to get your expertise on on relevant topics that I think other people are interested in. So thank you very much. It's my, my pleasure, Mike, JB. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, you know, again, we, we really appreciate the partnership and uh, all the efforts that, that you guys do to, to make our jobs um, Sometimes easier, sometimes more complex. The more features you come up with, you know, the harder it gets to focus on the essentials, but we, we love it. So thank you, guys. So job security, right? Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. All right. And welcome back. We're now going to close down this episode with our final segment, which we know everyone has listened to every episode of our podcast. And as we end this, JB and I trade a, a personal question or two so you can get to know us a little bit better. And then we have a nice little little trivia fact or a nice little feel-good story, etc. And so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. JB, I want to start off with you. Do you happen to have a question for me? I do. Um, you know, interesting times, like 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 we mentioned, there's the uh, quarantining and, and shelter in place, and I, I find that the amount of TV and movie watching is is up, right? It's up. It's it's um, you know, in addition to the work, it's it's important to have a break. But I'm spending a lot of time with my family, um, you know, going back and and watching old movies or or some of those things. And one of the things that's recently come up in our house has been. Uh, like marathons, movie marathons. And so, Mike, I'm I'm curious, uh, are you doing any movie marathons during this uh, quarantine? And uh, if so, what 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 did you start with? What is the go-to? Hey, if we're going to do a marathon, let's start with X. All right, I can answer that one. That one's a pretty easy question. So for us, the movie marathon, and usually we do it at the end of the year during the holiday break when everything's shut down. Like kids are out of school, we're all together, we go and we watch the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, one after the other after the other. And so we spend nine or 10 hours in front of the TV just, just to watch it back to back. So that is our go-to movie marathon. Now, we haven't been doing that lately with the quarantine. What we've actually been doing is I have three of my children have moved out of the house, so I have one left. And she's close to being 17, so she's a teenager for sure. And I am catching up on some of my dad duties, where there are this, just those movies that we grew up with, where you got to make sure your kids watch them. You want to pass on your history, your upbringing to your kids. That's just part of being a parent. And so you're welcome to laugh. I, I accept laughs at this. But the movie that I showed my daughter last week was Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Oh, my goodness. I love that laughing. movie. I love that movie. Oh, my goodness. It was so fun. I'm not laughing. And I just did that with my three kids probably not two months ago just because 
I had made some references to uh, some comments uh, in there and they looked at me like I had two heads and I said, you have to watch this movie. Um, interestingly enough, my, my middle son, uh, Dylan, is um, he's in band this year and he's playing the saxophone. So, of course, after watching that movie, he marched straight upstairs, locked himself in his room for probably about two hours and came out uh, playing tequila. Oh, I love it. I love it. And did you yep. do the big shoe dance? Oh, of course. Of course. Not <laughs> on top of the table. I yes. can just see that. Oh, that's great. That's yep. great. And then I just got a text from my wife earlier today. She said, I just found out our daughter has not watched Top Gun. So we're going to watch Top Gun tonight, especially with Top there Gun 2 coming out later this year. I mean, that was that was a movie for all all the boys. I love Top Gun. It was so cool. Absolutely. Okay, now my question for you, JB, is a little is slightly different. Um, okay. Now, all of us, or most of us anyway, love sports. And I'm going to have you pick one. So you can't say all of them. But if you could pick a sport to add a, a mandatory amount of alcohol to as they play, which would it be? <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I, I want to make sure I understand the question. So you're saying that the players must yes. drink? The players must drink as they play. Golf. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about a talk about a spectator hazard. Ooh. I, I think I think with the longevity of, of a round of golf, especially in, in tournaments where sometimes they're playing a few matches uh, uh, during the day, uh, if you had to require. Uh, some alcohol consumption in in that uh, in that that space. I think the scores could get pretty interesting. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm just laughing thinking about that. Oh, that's a great answer, JB. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's great. All right, yeah. so let's let's wrap this up. Um, you know, typically when you talk about Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway was a Nobel Prize winner. He was one of the greatest American 20th century novelists, and he was writer of some of the most famous books in the world, such as A Farewell to Arms, The Old Man and the Sea, and For Whom the Bell Tolls. In fact, those books filled my early educational years for sure. This story, however, it's not about him, but about his brother named Lester. Did you know he had a brother? I did not, actually, okay. no. So we're going to talk about Lester Hemingway. And similar to Ernest, Lester was also an American writer, but we're not going to focus on his literature skills. We're going to focus on another aspect of Lester that's perhaps not quite as common <clears throat> or well-known. This story focuses on Lester, the founder of a micro-nation called New Atlantis. Now, let me explain. In July of 1964, Lester constructed an eight foot by 30 foot barge. Now, for those who aren't using the, the US measurement system, that's two and a half meters by nine meters. <clears throat> so he created this barge and he towed it 12 nautical miles out from Jamaica and claimed that the barge was a micro nation called New Atlantis. Believe it or not, there is an obscure law from 1856 called the Guano Islands Act. And it allowed him to claim half of the barge as a new nation and half of the barge on behalf of the United States. This law, so this Guano Islands Act stated that US citizens could claim ownership of unclaimed islands that had guano deposits. Back then, guano was a valuable commercial fertilizer and there was something of a gold rush, gold rush among Western nations to claim unoccupied areas having guano deposits during the middle part of, of that century. Now, it's unclear whether New Atlantis actually had any guano located on it or not. But he claimed and created this micronation called New Atlantis. Lester actually went so far as to type up a constitution which was simply a copy of the U.S. Constitution with any occurrence of United States replaced with New Atlantis. And just imagine, he did all of that before we had electronic word processors with the find and replace feature. That's an achievement in and of itself. Now, his real plan was to use the publicity of New Atlantis to generate money for 
oceanographic research. He created coins and stamps that represented New Atlantis and tried to sell those for funding. He also intended for the raft to serve as an oceanographic research facility. Unfortunately, a tropical storm destroyed New Atlantis in 1966, only two years after it was created, and it was then ransacked by fishermen. Unlike the original Atlantis, however, this one was well documented and we know exactly where and when it existed. So a little travel back in time for Lester Hemingway, the brother of Ernest. I like it. Nice little story. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. We once again hope you're safe and hope you're healthy, and we look forward to the next time. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds.